For this week's podcast, we read two articles, Zareski 2004 and Shiapa 1993. In the Zareski 2004 article, we were asked three major questions. How do we understand the nature of presidential rhetoric and its effect? What does presidential rhetoric do? And how do we know? To start, we tend to try and understand presidential rhetoric and the effect way too narrowly. When we broaden our views of presidential rhetoric, we can see that rhetoric can be used as evidence and a field of study. For example, social scientists can use data to measure opinions or attitude change, but sometimes they'll find none. There are many reasons they may find no change, such as it's rare for someone's opinion to change based off one speech, or by changing someone's opinion or attitude based off what they hear once is only one type of change, while there are many others. And three, this change focuses mainly on message-to-audience relationships, which is only a minute aspect of a rhetorical exchange. In the article, it says, when we broaden our views of a rhetorical transaction, quote, it emphasizes contingency and choice rather than predictability and control, end quote. By using this logic, the speaker or writer makes certain choices in their writing to successfully get their points or ideas across to the audience. In this reading, we looked at three dimensions of a rhetoric transaction. One, the relationship between audience and message, relationship between reader and text, and the relationship between text and rhetorical critic. An example of these three perspectives was in President George W. Bush's speech to a joint session of Congress on September 20, 2001, where he successfully used all three perspectives to not only shift his audience's attitude, but show the world where his values and views are. Patterns of rhetorical choice tend to reoccur in various scenarios, even when the topics at hand are all very different. The second question we were asked was, what does presidential rhetoric do? Essentially, presidential rhetoric defines political reality. By the president defining the situation, it provides information which help the way it is viewed in the public eye. Although not all attempts of this will create a positive view from the audience, as we have seen quite a bit in this past presidency. Presidents can rely on frame shifting, postulating a different frame of reference from the one in which the subject is normally viewed. This reasoning makes the audience see things in a, quote, different light, which results in their attitudes or opinions to change. There are eight case studies where presidents use the power to define to help show how rhetorical power is used to change the public's view of reality. However, as stated in the article, this is not always in benefit of the president. The last question we were asked was, how do we know? We know what presidential rhetoric does because we see how often presidential definition is used. We see arguments and research on the benefits of presidential rhetoric. There is, no, there is evidence of shifts of public views as a result of presidential definition and rhetoric. The second article we read for this week's podcast was Shiapa 1993. This essay's purpose works to defend the rhetorical understanding of the practice of definition. In this essay, there are four main topics. One, definitions may be pro productively viewed as having distinctive rhetorical characteristics. Two, arguments defending, quote, real definition typically involve the strategy of disassociation. Three, disassociation using certain philosophical pairs are based on an untenable theory of language and meaning. And four, real definitions are dysfunctional to the extent that they direct attention to pseudo, quote, is claims and away from explicit, quote, ought claims. In this article, one of the first things we learn are standard definition and contested definition. Standard definitions are short-term resolutions of a group of people as to how words are understood. Contested definition usually surfaces as competing answers to questions of the form, what is X? Definitions are rhetorical since their, their usage is to create a social control. Definitions are important as they tell us when something is right or wrong or true or false.
Now on to real definition and disassociation. Real definition is used to define things rather than words. In this section, he uses the example of death. For a long time, the, the word death was defined by no pulse and no breath. However, many years later, people tried to redefine death with new technological and medical advances. The main question asked was whether or not the idea of brain dead fit into the traditional definition of death. These efforts are considered real definitions because they are trying to argue what death really is. With these ideas of real definition came people not agreeing with it, like usual, or deeming it incorrect. People believe that definitions do not describe things themselves, but can use relationships between words. Once again, the idea of death was brought up as an example of dissociate, disassociative strategies in defense of a real definition. A woman named Bethia S. Curie based her argument of the redefinition of death as irreversible coma is dangerous and should be opposed. Her arguments were cases of patients who were considered dead in their comas but then later recovered. Walton, who is a defender of redefining death, responded by arguing that the actual documentation of these patients was questionable, and her example didn't meet his criteria of death. We need to start changing the way we ask and attack questions. Definitions are human-made, so instead of asking, what is X? We need, to we need to train our brains to ask more questions, such as, how ought we use the word X? By using the example of death in this article, we learn that definitions in articles are important, and need to be used correctly.